0: Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is implicitly teaching and it becomes more explicit as we go on that when we become followers of the Lord Jesus there's a radical change of identity that while we're living in this world and maybe citizens of a specific country we have also then become citizens of of heaven And more than that, we've actually, uh, through trusting Jesus, we have become much-loved sons and daughters of God. We get to call Him Father. And this identity change uh, calls for a lifestyle change. That this new identity uh, is to be reflected in the everyday ways that we act and think and speak and live because we are children of God, because we are citizens of heaven. And he's calling his disciples to live in such a way that um, it reflects on the character of this God. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He's calling on them to live in a way that is not natural. That's not just the normal way people react. So that people end up saying, what is so different about you? Why did you behave in that particular way? That's so unusual. The only thing they can put it down to is the fact that you're you're a Christian. That God has done something in your life to make you live differently, that they may praise your Father in heaven. Well, that is the the context here. And of course, Jesus was very honest with them. Uh, Some will praise God, but others will persecute them for their faith. And yet, even in dark times of opposition, they can still be shining lights. Now, let's turn to these challenging words of chapter 5 and verse 38, which is where we've got to today. on page 970 you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth but I tell you do not resist an evil person if someone strikes you on the right cheek turn to him the other also and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic let him have your cloak as well If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word. So he, the Lord Jesus gets on to this part where she's dealing with really the topic of revenge and uh, how we treat our enemies. Now, what does our culture tell us to do about this? Um, What do Hollywood blockbusters tell us to do? Um, Well, in a word, there's a movie coming out which basically spells it out. Retaliation. If um, someone hits you, you hit back harder. That's the point, isn't it? Hit them back so they'll think twice about hitting you again. If someone you love gets hurt, uh, well, the person who hurt, hurt your friend or your family member... You make them suffer, retaliate. And really, our entertainment culture kind of celebrates this sort of payback, violence and brutality. Uh, For the mildest reason, you can go out there and uh, cause absolute chaos in uh, Hollywood movie land. Now, of course, this is nothing new. Uh, You can read about this from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, Uh, Cain Who killed his brother. Well, Cain's descendants just got increasingly worse and worse. And one of Cain's descendants was a guy called Lamech. And Lamech uh, records a song of him boasting to his women. Where he says, uh, I have killed a man for wounding me. A young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. That's the culture, isn't it? Hit him back harder. Make him Pay. Now, God's law well, that He gave to uh, ancient Israel was actually there to protect them from this sort of um, escalating violence that can happen in revenge. Uh, wicked things happen, and uh, people tend to respond with even greater wickedness in response. And so, God, when He gave His law to the Israelites, Uh, described a a limit to how people should be involved in responding, in revenge. And that's what we have there recorded in verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This actually was a very humane law. It was about limiting uh, the sort of um, justice that could be meted out. If someone sort of punched your tooth out, Uh, that wasn't an excuse for you to smack him in the head with a baseball bat and crack his skull. No, it it should be limited. And in fact, it quite quickly developed that uh, people could pay their um, punishment through financial uh, things. So rather than actually uh, having your eye gouged out, you could actually pay some money uh, in, in lieu of that. Now that's a great contrast, of course, to the unjust nature of of Sharia law, which is practiced by certain Islamic states. Uh, That teaches that if someone uh, is caught in the act of theft, you should chop their hand off. Something which is uh, way over the top compared to... I mean, what would you have to steal to be worth chopping your hand off? That, to me, is completely unjust. But God's law was there to, to stop this revenge escalating and growing in blood feuds. Now, what is Jesus, why is Jesus quoting this as a tradition, verse 38? All the way through Matthew chapter 5, he's been dealing with the traditions of what people taught about the Old Testament. Why is Jesus uh, challenging, uh, what is he challenging here in verse 38? And it seems to me that it's, it's, it's that he's challenging the way that they've taken civil law, something that was to be practiced by the state, by uh, magistrates, legal authorities... And they were applying it to their own personal dealings with others. That The teaching had developed to such a point that people say, well, it's okay. Uh, you can be uh, obeying God's law. You can be a righteous person uh, by taking justice into your own hands. It's okay to take revenge. And so if someone slights you, if someone injures you and attacks you, then you, you, know, you don't hang about waiting for the polis to turn up and sort that. You just sort it out yourself. Well, Jesus is teaching something radically different to his disciples. Verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, there has been much debate about this verse. There has been much ink spilt, particularly in times of war. The whole issue of does the Bible teach pacifism uh, is, is, is all comes out of this uh, statement of Jesus And I think we should um, notice first, well, I mean, some people ask, well, you know, is it wrong to become a policeman? Is it wrong to um, be a magistrate? Is it wrong to be uh, involved with uh, prison work, for instance, if you're not supposed to resist an evil person? Uh, Does this mean that you shouldn't um, intervene if you're seeing someone getting mugged um, or or attacked? Well, I want you to notice with me that uh, Jesus gives four illustrations immediately after that statement which helps us understand what's the sort of evil that he's talking about. I want you to notice that actually he's dealing with the issue of, of personal, being personally attacked. Someone's striking you on the cheek. Someone wants to sue you. Someone's forcing you. Jesus is not teaching here about what a nation should do, what a state should do. For that, you need to go to somewhere like Romans chapter 13. And there you can read... Um, how the Apostle Paul teaches that all authority uh, in the world is ultimately linked to the authority of God. And that God has given uh, authority to uh, the government, to the state, to be involved with rewarding those who do good and punishing those who do wicked. And that's entirely a biblical and a correct thing. It even says that the, the, uh, the state has the right to hold the sword. So if you're want teaching about, um, I think it's okay to be a policeman uh, for the policeman here today because you're functioning underneath that controlled authority of the state. It's not wrong for you to uh, do, uh, act against those who are doing evil. We are very glad that you put your lives on the line. We're very glad for that thin blue line. I, for one, am not convinced that the Bible teaches pacifism. Uh, If someone breaks into my home in order to harm my family, I think I have a God-given responsibility to defend and protect my wife and my children. In fact, uh, I'm I'm told that I'm to love my wife as Christ, love the church, and lay down his life for her. I should be willing to lay down my life, if, if that's what it takes, to protect my wife and children. So I don't think that this actually does speak about pacifism. But what it is speaking about is how should you respond as an individual? I think specifically how you should respond as a Christian when someone is um, attacking you. When someone is um, coming at you for being a Christian. That in those situations, instead of demanding my rights, instead of uh, demanding redress, the loving response might well be non-retaliation. Now Let's just think about these four Illustrations to see the sort of evil he's talking about. So, verse 39 if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, it's worth knowing that um, this is not really talking about someone trying to kill you. This is not someone trying to commit uh, GBH, grievous bodily harm on you. Uh, The back of a hand slapping someone's cheek was a form of insult in Jesus' day. And so what's going on here is is somebody insulting you, and that was the gesture that they used. And if someone is uh, insulting you in that way, Jesus says you should be willing to uh, take it, non-retaliate. We don't go for the hand or the back of the cheek, but I notice there are various other gestures out there in the world today that convey similar sort of insulting insinuations, aren't there? Uh, you know what should you be doing if you 're driving on the road, uh, do, obeying the family laws and someone cuts in on you? Um, how do you respond there it 's not appropriate to use some of these gestures, really. Um, Jesus teaches us if we are His disciples, the loving response against provocation might simply just be not to respond, not to retaliate, to turn the other cheek. Verse 40, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, in the Old Testament, there are lots of rules and laws that say you should never deprive anyone of their cloak. As it might be the last thing that keeps them warm at night. It might be the only thing a poor person has. Uh, You should always return it at the end of the day to make sure they've got something to keep them warm at night. You never deprive them their cloak. The cloak was the most precious thing that they had on them. But if someone is out to sue you as a Christian, the loving response might well be not to fight for all your goods, but allow them to take what is precious to you, Jesus says. There may be circumstances where that is the right thing to do. Verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. The Romans who were occupying the country in those days uh, could at any time stop... Uh, Someone in that country, and insist that they carry their baggage for them. The, the, the Roman's carrying some heavy kit, and he wants a break. He could commandeer anyone and just say, you carry this. And uh, you would have to carry it for uh, only up to a mile. And Jesus says, well, if you get commandeered, instead of begrudgingly just doing the, uh, the, 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 the what is expected, be willing to go an extra mile for them. Verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. There are times when when disciples will respond with generosity when it will lovingly serve those who ask. Now this is radical teaching, isn't it? This is radical teaching. Um, Does Jesus really expect us to live like this? And the answer is Yes, and that's why I've included the next section. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. I mean, this is, this is a twisted uh, tradition that they had corrupted from the Old Testament teaching. Nowhere are you going to find a verse that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but this is what the tradition had developed to. Uh, the, God's word says, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, And people have shortened that to, well, you can love your neighbor, but who is my neighbor? Let's limit that down to my neighbor. So I'll make sure I love them, those who are in my tribe, those who are are, uh, maybe next to me. But basically, I can get to hate everybody else. That's how the tradition had developed. But Jesus says to them, no. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you remember how Jesus was going at this exact issue? when um, someone said to him well who is my neighbor and jesus told the parable of the good samaritan didn't he? quite galling the samaritans were the were the group that they loved to hate how terrible to be taught ethics to be taught how to behave by your enemies the good samaritan who goes and finds the man beaten up on the road and, and 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 while all his compatriots had gone by and ignored this body on the road the good samaritan had taken him and cared for him and paid for him to be put up in an inn and paid for some medicines and care for him well jesus was getting this this exact issue people wanted to narrow down who was their neighbor so they could get away with hating their enemy but jesus says no but i tell you disciples love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and i think that is the context for these four illustrations Uh, The radical different responses are in the context of evil enemies who are persecuting you for being a Christian, for being a follower of the Lord Jesus. Insults, confiscation of property, of money, uh, forced labor might well be the experience of those who are being persecuted. And in those circumstances, Jesus is teaching that uh, the response of his disciples might well be to lovingly serve their neighbors in these ways, that they're willing to turn the other cheek, allow the confiscation of their goods and money, and go the extra mile. Remember how this sermon starts back in chapter 5. Look back at verse 11. We've got these beatitudes. Um, and Jesus personalizes it in verse 11 specifically to his disciples blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you when Christians receive all this sort of hardship and opposition, persecution for being disciples. Jesus says, rejoice, because actually it means you are the genuine article. You are a real follower of Christ, and there really is a great reward for you in heaven. See, I I can put up with my goods being confiscated now, because I know that this is not all there is. Life is short. Uh, Eternity is long. I, I, I will receive a great reward. I think that's the perspective. That's the context. That's the environment of this, uh, this challenging teaching. We are called, uh, when we're persecuted Christians, not to retaliate, not to give back as we have received, as a form of active love towards those who don't deserve it. See, when Christians respond in this way, they're showing themselves to be genuine children of God who bear the likeness of the Heavenly Father. Look at back at uh, verse 44 of verse forty five. Uh, well, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son, remember who look there, who who owns the Son? It's his son. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here is God's common grace. He showers his gifts of, of creation on all, whether they acknowledge him and love him or whether they dishonor him and hate him. Uh, the sun shone beautifully yesterday for everybody uh, in Edinburgh, whether they were religious or irreligious, churchgoers or not. This is the common grace of God. This is what God is like. He's so generous. Pouring out his gifts that people quite often just take, never thank him for, and abuse. And yet he continues to bestow his grace and his kindness and his love. What an amazing God. And when we respond with love and grace to those who don't deserve it, we're being just like him. We're being just like our heavenly dad. And we can actually reflect the glory of God in his great generosity by how we behave. Now, to love those who love you, well, that's entirely natural, isn't it? That is, uh, that's normal. Everyone does that. Jesus points that out. Even the despised tax collectors who were despised as the lowest of the low because of the way they collaborated with the Romans and the way that they kept extorting money off people. Well, even the tax collectors, Jesus says, uh, show love to those who love them. Uh, verse 47, even the pagans... Um, Greet their brothers. There's nothing remarkable about that. You know, the, the most violent gangsters and mobsters in time have always been nice to their mothers. You know, that they take all their goods and spend them lavishly on their kids doesn't make them great people. That's that's normal. That's what. That's natural. But actually, to to love those who are your enemies, to love those who are insulting you, to love those who are confiscating. Your stuff off you because they hate you for being a Christian. That is divine. That is supernatural. That that is evidence that there's something different going on in this person that you just can't explain any other way than God is involved. Who can live like this? Has anyone lived like this? Well, yes. Jesus Christ lived like this. Uh, We're going to see as we work through Matthew's gospel that he practices what he preached. And uh, we we read earlier, Isaiah 50, that this prophecy that one would come who would um, endure suffering and mockery, his back being beaten, because he was conscious that the Lord would not let him be dishonored. And Jesus came and offered his back to those who beat him. He offered his cheeks to those who would pull out his beard. He did not hide his face from those who mocked him and spat upon him. As Peter, his disciple, witnessed when they hurled insults against him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The angels of heaven must have just been straining to go down there and smack everyone who was touching the precious Son of God. He didn't have to take it. But he took it. He allowed the the, the very creatures that he had made to to put nails in his hands and his feet to thrust a a spear into his side. He allowed all of that. And on the cross... He looks down in agony and he prays on those who met such violence and hatred against him. And he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Incredible. Why? Why did he do all of that? Why did he not retaliate? And the answer is, is a glorious answer. He did it because he wanted to save us. He did it to achieve our salvation. He allowed them to do this, to take the shame and the mockery of the cross so that He would stand in the place of sinners. He would be punished like a sinner so that we who are sinners could be forgiven and made right with Him. He did it for our salvation. To turn unrighteous people into righteous people. To turn enemies into friends. To to bring them into His family. That's why He acted in that way. And then verse 48, Jesus teaches his disciples, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Remember the context here. What is he teaching them? He's saying, we are called to have the same perfect, gracious love for our enemies that God our Father has shown. How does that make you feel? Overwhelmed? That it's impossible? I think, yes, it's humanly impossible. This is not an ethic you can expect of people who uh, are not Christians, who are changed by God, born again, and renewed. But God is calling us to live lives that are dependent on His grace as we follow the Lord Jesus. He, he calls on us to daily um, seek the enabling help of His Holy Spirit so that we'll reflect His holy character that you will cause us to to stop at that moment when the instant response is to retaliate, to hit back, to to give them a zinger uh, that would uh, make us look funny and clever while we've been taken down for being a Christian, and to stop for a moment and with supernatural grace say, actually, I'm going to respond in a different way that reflects the loving character of our gracious God. Now, when we act in that way, it will puzzle people. It'll be so confusing. It'll be so unusual, so strange. But we'll be displaying something of God's love, mercy, his meekness, his humility. And maybe it will be used by God to draw them back to himself. Why have you done that? Why have you lived in that way? Many have been uh, captivated, really, by the story, uh, the true events of um, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and others who um, had a passion to share the gospel with a lost world. And it took them um, to South America to uh, uh, a tribal group that hadn't been reached. Uh, they called them the Orca Indians. They actually call themselves the Warani. And uh, they they landed missional First contact, very positive. Um, but then, as the days went on, they, they didn't know why this happened, but the the, the the tribe came out and with spears killed all these missionaries within days of them making making uh, physical contact. Now, these men, uh, they had a gun. They had superior weaponry. They, they could have actually, as they were being attacked, they could have killed these and, and lived. And... Yet, they didn't. Because they knew that, they, that these people, the Warani people, had not heard the gospel yet. If they were to take a life, they would go into a lost eternity without Christ. And so they allowed themselves to be killed. So these people would still have a chance to hear the gospel. And the story gets even more remarkable. The wife of uh, Jim Elliot, Elizabeth Elliot, uh, in later years with uh, Rachel Saint, Nate Saint's sister, Actually, made contact with some of the women of that tribe and ended up moving in and living with the same people who had murdered, well, in the case of Elizabeth, had murdered her husband. And they got to share the gospel and see many of the Warani people come to Christ. Now, how do you explain that? That Humanly, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. But it is an evidence of, of, of supernatural grace to live like that. To not in turn insult with insult. But insult is returned with blessing. That is remarkable. Now, we should also seek God's wisdom to think about really what this is saying, what it is not saying. I I, I think the rule is that we should respond in a way to people that would best lovingly serve them. We are called as disciples to, to respond in a way that would best lovingly serve our enemies, those who are against us. And we need to be careful about this. You see, I think a battered wife is not lovingly serving her husband by allowing him to keep beating her. That is not a loving thing. To allow a husband to, to abuse her in that way. Uh, an abusive husband is doing great harm to himself as well as to his wife. The loving thing for a, an abused spouse might well be to allow their uh, husband to feel the full um, consequences of their behavior and remove themselves entirely from the home. Until that spouse can learn to control their anger and their violence. I don't think you can take the verse turn the other cheek as a, 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 as a sort of a form of self martyrdom That's not what it's saying. We should act in such a way that would lovingly serve our enemy. Someone who works with homeless people will tell you that it is actually not loving to keep giving money to beggars on the street who are only drinking themselves to death. That is not loving to do that. Uh, It is not uh, loving your uh, people to keep, you know, giving money to those who basically are professional beggars who are fleecing people. That is foolish. There may be situations where someone needs money and you know they're genuine. and, And the call as a Christian is to genuinely act in compassion and grace, but we're not called to be stupid. A wife who has been abandoned by an unfaithful husband is not wrong to seek legal protection so that she's not robbed of all her assets and left destitute. But what this is saying is that the Christian disciple who's living to reflect the glory of his heavenly Father, to reflect the grace of the Lord Jesus, will be willing to give his body, his clothing, his service, his money if it will lovingly serve his enemies that they may come to know God themselves it's not just the Lord Jesus who says this this teaching is is deep in the New Testament let's turn to one other place to Romans chapter 12 you find this on page 1139 Look at verse 14 Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Look at verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. I don't know what situation and context your life might be in. And maybe these verses are are causing you pain, discomfort. You're not quite sure how to apply them. Why don't you come and speak to someone on the staff team, one of the elders, so that we can chat it through with you. I wonder in what ways we could act this week that would be so surprising to people. They would say, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why didn't you hit back? Wouldn't that be great to have opportunities like that this week? That we can say, do you know what? God didn't treat me like that. He's forgiven me so many wrong things that I've said and done. He showed me with grace and mercy and I've experienced the love of Jesus. Can I tell you about that? What exciting opportunities the Lord may open up. Let's pray.